Hello, hello, hello. Good morning. Welcome back to Sheep Thrills. Um, boy, boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Did we have an eventful week? Um, just to say right up at the top, unless your head has been very much in the sand, you'll know that uh, it was a, a, a very kind of dark week for the world's community. Um, so I know that I'm usually very, you know, quirky and zany on this show. Um, but just to, just to warn you, will be a little bit of a, a more serious tone on the episode today because, of course, we do have um, a lot of uh, not great things to talk about that have that have like, real implications for real people. Um, and, of course, you know, I talk all the time about politics is personal. Um, you know, things we talk about on the show I, I, I do joke about, but, of course, they are, you know, real things that affect real people. And so I just want to, um, you know, make, make sure everyone's aware that Things are serious. Things are really going down. Um, but with all that being said, welcome back to Sheep Thrills. Um, very excited to be here. Happy Saturday morning. I hope your your Saturdays, your weekends are all off to a great start. Um, so what are we going to talk about today? So yeah, we're talking about the Ukraine uh, for most of the show. Really just going to kind of want to spend a pretty long time kind of digging into to Ukraine today, um, just because there is just so much to talk about. And I just realized what the technical issue is. It's that the headphones aren't playing. So that was why I was confused when we started off talking. So sorry about that, but we're all good, actually. Um, anyway, of course, we're going to talk about talk about Ukraine, talk about Russia. Um, and then we're going to talk about um, some anti-LGBT youth legislation that's been working its way through some state senates. Um, and through some state legislatures. So, as I said, kind of a downer episode. Uh, we're not talking about a lot of good stuff because I felt like, A, there wasn't that much, like, good news to talk about, and B, um, it just felt a little bit disingenuous, a little bit dishonest to um, kind of spend too much time talking about, you know, Major League Baseball when, you know, there are real there's real stuff going down around the world. Um, just want to be cognizant of the fact that uh, there is there's some stuff going down right now. Um, but anyway, um, so let's talk let's talk about Ukraine. Um, obviously, a lot going on. Unless again, your your head's been slightly under the sand. Um, but what is actually what has actually gone down um, on Wednesday night in the U.S. I think that was technically Wednesday morning in Eastern Europe, but. I'm notoriously bad with time zones, um, so I, I, I can't tell you. But anyway, um, Russia officially decided to invade Ukraine after weeks of escalating tensions and intelligence suggesting that Russia was considering invading. We all know they were amassing troops at the border. They were uh, very much, they were very clearly getting ready to invade. Um, and it was kind of just a, kind of a little bit of like a cat and mouse about when they actually were going to do it. Um, Everyone kind of thought it was going to be a couple weeks ago. It kind of got very uh, drawn out and prolonged. This is episode five of Sheep Thrills. We've been talking about it since episode one, um, I believe. So it's been it's been at least a month of us talking about this. Um, and so, it, it, again, it's been very prolonged. It's been very stretched out. Um, they have been, you know, using all those diplomatic solutions, trying to figure out if there was any kind of diplomatic way to talk Putin off the ledge course it turned out that of course there's no way to diplomatically talk Putin off the ledge um just because you know as I talked about last week it's 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 seemed unclear to me at least what Putin's endgame was you know what he hoped to achieve 
um, other than just pushing, excuse me, excuse pushing NATO out of Eastern Europe, which was never going to happen. Um, so other than that, it's, it's, it's a little bit, it was at that point a little bit unclear with what he wants. And now it's a little bit more clear, which we'll get to in a bit. But even then, it's, it's, it's not a thing that he, he, well, he, no matter how many times he bombs Ukraine, I don't think that he's going to be able to, to succeed in these goals. So it's very interesting um, to kind of see that dichotomy, I guess, that tension there. Um, and, you know, s- straight up, maybe I'm naive. Probably I am naive. Um, but I really did think that, that Putin was, was posturing and that he was just digging his heels in and he was going to maybe take a couple steps over the border, like freak the Ukrainians out and then run back. Like, I genuinely did not think he was going to launch like a full-scale invasion, the likes of which we're seeing now. Because the what struck me about the first couple days of of the invasion, because, you know, that's what it is, um, was just how truly, like, large-scale it was. Like, he has not been joking. He has not been posturing. He has been absolutely planning this entire time for um, Russia to come in and come in hot and come in hard and just absolutely kind of try to blow, you know, any potential, like, Ukrainian defense out of the water. And is that to draw NATO back into the conversation and to draw the United States back into the conversation? Maybe. Maybe that's why it was so aggressive right off the bat. Um, but what's very interesting is that, um, you know, the, you know, the first couple hours of the invasion, reports of major explosions all over the city, very clearly pushing towards Kiev, which is the capital city, um, Obviously, this is a, a, a war situation, so everything is actively changing, which is why I'm kind of trying to speak in, like, macro terms about themes rather than, like, specific events, because obviously things are changing very rapidly, and so I don't want to say anything that's no longer correct. Um, but as of last night for us, um, maybe yesterday, uh, Russia had pushed all the way into Kiev, and they have been fighting in Kiev directly. Um so obviously that was that was their main goal because what what they're claiming is that they there's a basically a junta in control of the Ukrainian government. I'm using air quotes. You can't see that because this is a radio show. Um, and so he was claiming that he was going in to take out a basically like a violent, aggressive uh, leadership group. Um, and so then all the the Russian soldiers are wearing like peacekeeping insignias and they're claiming that it's a peacekeeping mission, which, by the way, is a, a war crime because they're not peacekeepers, um, which is, you know, I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about the fact that Russia has committed various war crimes over the past week. So we're going to see how uh, the world community responds to that if they if they do. Um, but. You know, now people are fleeing major cities or they're sheltering in place. There's been so many pictures of um, Ukrainians in kind of like makeshift bomb shelters in metro centers and um, like in basements, just like so many pictures of people like packed in there, which is just really, really, truly horrifying. And I know there's been a lot of comparisons to World War Two um, and just like seeing people truly having to like take shelter in like a sovereign democratic country. Uh, is is really horrifying, and I think it's those visuals that are going to um, really stick with us moving down the line, is that we're not going to, even if Russia pulls out, even if they have some kind of diplomatic um, solution in the end, um, they're, they're not, people are, people are not going to forgive and forget, I think, and there's a lot of visuals um, that very clearly indicate that. Um, 
And so Ukraine has been under continuous attack since they announced the full invasion on Wednesday. Um, but the Ukrainians are not backing down. Um, and there's been this is this is a slight a slightly lighter thing of like, yes, Russia is invading a, a sovereign, peaceful, democratic country, just like in broad daylight under the eyes of of God and CNN. Um, but the Ukrainians are absolutely not having any of it. And so this is the, the, the slightly lighter component of this of this story is just the Ukrainians just absolutely not again, not having any of it. Um, there's the there are three three great kind of I, you know the three the three very cool things it's not it's I mean it's it's horrifying because it's war, but three slightly more heartwarming um, stories. The ghost of Kiev, which is a, a fighter pilot. It might not be real. It's unclear, but I am going to just like assume that it's real. I'm going to hope that it's real. Um, it's the the ghost of Kiev. It's a fighter pilot in Kiev who reportedly shot down like five or six Russian um, fighter pilots or you know fighter planes, um, and has just been kind of like whipping around Kiev by themselves. Cool. The ghost of Kiev. That's going to be a great name for you know the miniseries that comes out about this down the line because nobody can ever um you know let an international crisis go to waste without creating some form of hulu or hbo media from it um the second one is there is a group of i think 13 ukrainians who were holding a island off the coast um, of ukraine and a russian warship kind of got went up to them and said you need to surrender now or we're going to open fire and they told the the Ukrainians told the Russian warship to go f themselves, um, and of course there's like audio recording of it, which has kind of gone viral on Twitter now. Um, and the like the the horrifying thing about that is that all thirteen of those Ukrainians are now dead because the Russians did in fact open fire. Um, but I think it's just again that that symbol of defiance um, is is really <clears throat> is going to be something that's remembered and significant. And then last but not least, Russia uh, the Ukrainians kind of pushing back. Vladimir Zelensky, who's the president of Ukraine, who I've mentioned a couple of times, obviously he's kind of an important, an important figure to, to be talking about in this situation. But he is in Kiev um, and there was like some Russian propaganda that uh, Zelensky was fleeing and blah, blah, blah. Um, but he so he made a, a Twitter video. And he basically said, here I am. I'm outside the, the capital. I'm here. I'm going to fight. Um, and there's been reports that he is currently like on the front lines, like fighting with people um, in Kiev, which is kind of amazing. Um, and, and you know, the, the, the funny conversation that people have been having is that Vladimir Zelensky is a former um, former actor. And we have our own experience with former actor presidents in the United States. Uh, and I don't know if any of them would, would go to the front lines and truly fight to defend the Capitol. Um, so anyway, I think that there's just, there's, 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 there can be no pretending, although as, as much as like Russian media wants, there's no pretending that, um, the Ukrainians are welcoming the Russians with open arms because it's very, very clear that they are not. Um, so that's just, that's just kind of one, one thing I wanted to talk about right off the bat is, is. That there is definitely some some widespread resistance right now. Um, another important moment that I want to talk about from the actual course of the invasion is that the Russians 
as you know, last time I checked, the Russians have con control over Chernobyl, which we all know what Chernobyl is. I do not need to get into it. Um, but Ukrainians have reported that they're seeing um, higher than control levels of radiation, which is horrifying. Um, so it's, it's horrifying for so many reasons. But <clears throat> excuse me, Putin basically directly threatened nuclear war, um, basically said, if if the U.S. gets involved, if anybody gets involved in our, you know, our peacekeeping mission in Ukraine, like we are a nuclear power and we're not afraid to use it. Um, so Putin, you know, not, not not in so many words, obviously, but vaguely threatened um, some some kind of nuclear retaliation and then having control over Chernobyl and all of the, the nuclear waste that exists there um, is probably probably not great. Um, what they what what the Russians will do with Chernobyl. And frankly, I'm not a science person. I don't know what still exists in Chernobyl to be used. Um, but I think more than anything, it is the, the symbol of the fact that Chernobyl has been taken. And then also the fact that radiation levels are higher than than the control level. A little a little horrifying. But so that was that's something that I feel like people have uh, promptly forgotten about. Um, but I did want to kind of mention it one more time, just while, while we're talking about some like important moments. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of a, a um, some groundwork. That's where we're at. That's what we're, we're working with at this moment right now. Um, of course, Kiev is under siege. All, the whole country is under siege. People are really, they're trying to get towards Poland. They're trying to get towards the borders. Will they even be taken in once they get there? Who knows? Um, but anyway, that's the lay of the land. That's where we're at now. So the big question, of course, is what did Biden decide to do about it? Obviously, because he has been threatening. He's been saying, oh, well, um, you know, we're going to sanction you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Um, but now push comes to shove. What actually happened? Um, so Biden, to, to preface all of this, Biden cannot slash will not send troops directly into the Ukraine. Uh, or rather, here's here's the here's the, the situation. He can't send in NATO troops officially um, because NATO Article 5, which basically says if you attack one NATO country, you've attacked all of us and now, you know, prepare to feel our wrath kind of thing. Um, that has not been activated yet because, again, Ukraine, this is the main sticking point, Ukraine is not a NATO country. So Biden can't push for NATO troops to be sent into Ukraine, technically. I mean, he could, but he doesn't have to. Um, and he is not going to send... U.S. troops into Ukraine unless they're kind of under the under the protection of NATO, um, unless they're officially NATO troops. Um, activating Article Five will basically cause a world war um, because every you know major Western power is in NATO, and then all of them kind of coming back and, and pushing against Russia is not going to. And well, and I really do think that Biden is trying to avoid that reality at all costs. But he did say he made an address on Thursday, Thursday afternoon, I believe, um, basically saying if there is some kind of major cyber attack against the U.S. or if um, Russia decides to um, invade Poland, invade any of those bordering NATO countries around Ukraine, um, like we'll have to activate NATO Article 5 and then that'll that'll kind of be that. Um, again, Biden can choose to mobilize U.S. troops as his commander-in-chief power, um, but not NATO troops. 
both both situations though like if he if he chooses to activate u.s troops and send them into ukraine it, it will activate another world war um and it will become a, a much larger hot conflict as opposed to kind of the, the, the proxy war that it is now um between eastern and western europe um and just i guess the west as a as a general concept um because that you know both russia and the United States are nuclear powers with nuclear power friends. Uh, so it, that's just, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's Cold War kind of conversations. Like, then it's, it's, yeah, so it's, it's the same conversations that, we've, that we had around the Cold War. They have nuclear weapons, we have nuclear weapons. Do we actually want to get involved? Do we want to actually get involved? Um, and this, of course, again, as I think I mentioned in the past, is the reason that Ukraine isn't in NATO, right? They're, despite the fact that, like, they have all the, like, I think, like, economic prerequisites to be in, uh, in NATO and all of those things, like, they're just too close to Russia. They have too much conflict that already exists with Russia. And the whole point of NATO is to avoid world war. And I think that, you know, the people in NATO said, like, we know that we're not going to be able to avoid fighting back against Russia if we if we involve um, Ukraine in our in our club. Um, and people have been saying that this whole situation is Ukraine's like audition for NATO, uh, which is kind of a very interesting conversation that kind of if, you know, I Jesus Christ, I hope. But if you know NATO comes out or excuse me, if Ukraine comes out the other side from this, um, there's going to be a, a big, strong push to actually involve Ukraine and NATO and kind of kind of get them kind of that that exact status um because it'll be like who cares Russia already invaded once we have to kind of have that have that protection there um so beyond military operations the only thing i think the, the, i mean the two options that Biden had were military intervention and sanctions those were his two things um so aside from any military options which we've just gone through nothing really works um, nothing nothing works to de-escalate. Um, the only thing that Biden can do is implement sanctions, right? So he announced on Thursday in that same address that I talked about, um, although he's been kind of continuously rolling out more sanctions as the week and now the weekend has started. Um, all of the sanctions, I believe, I'm also not an expert in any of these things, um, they all kind of revolve around kind of really crushing the Russian state economy. Um, so there's been you know, there's import and export blocks on technology and different things like that. Um, bank sanctions, just trying, basically just controlling like those major Russian banks. Um, initially, obviously, Biden has been threatening these sanctions for a while. Um, the threat of those sanctions was meant to be a deterrent. It did not deter, did not do what it needed to do. Um, and so Obviously, now he's Biden and the, the federal government is implementing all of those sanctions as a punishment. And here's the question. Will it work? Um, it has already had a pretty profound effect on the Russian economy. Um, but like I talked about last week, does it really matter? Do the Russian oligarchs actually care about the effect of these sanctions on individual Russian people? Because I think, I mean, I think I checked it was like 50 percent of the of the Russian economy was affected or something like that in their in their stock market. Um, and so, you know, it's there. there's a current push to, to sanction Putin and those other oligarchs directly. Um, so as opposed to targeting the 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 people, uh, kind of targeting those in power, which is something I tend to agree with, because as we talked about, 
and as you know we kind of know as like a general truth sanctions hurt the people they don't hurt the people in power um and of course you know with 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 gas and oil issues um that's going to affect eventually the the russian leaders down the line but it's not it's not going to have the immediate effect that it needs to have um because this is not going to be a long drawn out war this is going to be a couple weeks of like a blitz basically um and so we need to if 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 we if Biden actually wants to have any kind of concrete action happen, um, he has to do things fast and aggressive now um, before things kind of continue to spiral out of hand. Then um, there's others that have been pushing for larger sanctions in Europe. Um, one of those things has been pushing Russia out of SWIFT, um, which is something that European countries at this point have decided not to do, specifically Germany. Um, right now kind of all of NATO is pretty unified and all of the EU is pretty unified, um, but Germany is causing some problems because um, I think they're they're kind of concerned for um, the economic well-being of Europe in general, which is pretty interesting. Um, and SWIFT, I wrote it down somewhere because I didn't really know. Okay, yeah, this is what it is. Um, it's a high security messaging network that connects thousands of financial institutions. And it's been kind of considered to be the nuclear option um, for kind of response to Russian aggression. Um, So, I don't, I don't, I don't know. To be honest, like this whole thing is um, very above my pay grade, I guess. because it feels very, very esoteric and very, like, out of my control to me. Although, obviously, it's a real thing happening to real people and um, all of that. So, anyway, they're considering pushing Russia out of SWIFT. They're considering kind of some some other major economic blocks. They already um, canceled the, the pipeline that was supposed to run between uh, Russia and Germany. That's going to have a major effect on the Russian economy. It's also going to have a major effect on the German and the rest of the European economy. Um, and also their stores of like energy and fuel because I don't know I read some statistics about like 50% of European energy comes from um, Russia there's also the case that you know the US is going to be impacted by it which I think I'll get into in a little bit but it's just there's there's a lot of considerations going on right now that people are as always um, kind of balancing the economy with the lives of individual people. So it's just the same kind of thing that we see over and over again. But you know, I kind of get into that a little bit more. Um, and the other thing that Biden is doing um, is that he's moving troops now towards the, the border of NATO countries in, Eastern, in, in Eastern Europe. So he's taking a lot of uh, his troops and he's pushing them towards Poland and towards all those different countries um, just to kind of be prepared should um, Putin do something crazy and decide to um invade invade poland invade some other some other eastern european country that is in nato um is russia that dumb to directly impact and impact a nato country once again the question is what's the end game um and if end game is russia launching a full-scale kind of nuclear conflict then invading poland is i think a pretty good way to do it um because yeah, I mean that's that's if if you're if you're looking to get what you want, invading a NATO country is is if 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 what you want is full scale nuclear conflict, then yeah, invade a NATO country. That's a great idea. Um, and like, does does Russia have the power to succeed in a full scale conflict? That's an interesting question. I mean, does 
Russia have any allies other than China and Iran? And is the relationship between Russia and China strong enough to kind of combat the rest of the the, the global community? Um, And I think that's very interesting. It's clear-ish, because is anything clear, that Putin is trying to rebuild the USSR. Like he's that that's what he's trying to do is like he, he wants to be the president that slowly chips away Western control, re retake control over like those former USSR territories. That is not something that NATO is going to allow to happen. It's just not. And like I know that there's you know, there's a lot of conversation around like, oh, but how is this gonna affect the midterms and how is this going to affect, you know, our like reelection and blah blah blah. If Oh my gosh, I keep saying blah, blah, blah. I was told not to say blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. That's that's now twice that I've said it. Okay, I need to pay attention to that. Um, oh, now I'm totally lost my train of thought. Oh dear. Oh my, oh me. Okay. Um, yeah, the USSR, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen again. There's no way that the, again, the world community is gonna sit back and kind of let the, let Russia kind of do what it would like in terms of, um, like re-annexing all of that territory. So that's okay. So that was Biden's response. That was where we're at. Next. Um, what does this mean for Europe, Russia, Ukraine, US, all those things? Um, and of course, as I talked about the current main impact of sanctions across Europe, US, Russia, etc, et um, is economic. And obviously, Russia is gonna is, is a major economic power. So all of you know, it's all but pulling them out of the economy. There's going to have some ramifications uh, beyond Europe, probably larger ramifications or beyond Russia. There's going to be probably larger ramifications in Europe than in the United States. Um, so in terms of kind of keeping the global community together, it's going to be really important to make sure that um, the Europeans are all fully on board um, before any like major actions are taken because they're, you know, with, without all of them on board, it's uh, the, the threats and the actions are a lot less convincing. Um, one of the main arguments happening right now is around oil prices. Um, as we generally know, the U.S. is no longer energy independent. Um, and so, of course, we are kind of reliant on countries like Russia for gas and oil. Um, so gas prices in the U.S. are already rising. It's like and it's 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 been um, projected that um, gas prices are going to at least double in the United States because of this. And so the two arguments here, at least in the U.S. that I've seen, are one, hey, people's lives are at stake. Um, a, a major nuclear power just invaded a sovereign country. Maybe let's stop talking about gas prices and think about the actual lives of people that are being affected here. Um, which I tend to agree with is that like sometimes the economy can't always come before people's lives. At some point, the other shoe has to drop with that. Um, and then the other argument is People in America rely heavily on gas, and if they can't afford to get where they need to go, then that's a problem. Um, and of course, that was kind of a, a watered-down version of the conversation that um, people are having. They kind of are saying, "Who who the heck cares about Ukraine? Who the heck cares about people who live in the Ukraine? I just need my my gas to not be expensive." Um, kind of neglecting to think about those those like larger consequences of what this Ukrainian invasion is actually. Uh, what it actually means. And again, people's lives are at stake. And it's it's so important. Like, I just can't The thing. I think the reason that I'm so like, I can't wrap my head around this is because 
Russia invaded a sovereign country, a peaceful, democratic, sovereign country, and then it's just, it just is. It just is what it is, and it's not like the whole world is coming down with, you know, the force of, of gods to kind of smack them back into, into their territory. That's huge. And I think that kind of talking, kind of centering the, the price of gas in the conversation, not great. Not a great thing that we should be doing. Um, and again, much of, but again, the U.S. is dependent and much of Europe is dependent on Russian gas and oil, as I just said. Um, Germany, just like last year, closed several nuclear power plants, which was silly, um, because now, of course, Germany is even more reliant on Russia for um, energy, um, and which is probably one of the reasons why they're kind of not coming down as hard and as strong as they should be on these um, economic issues. So that that's that's an and it, it is it truly is an important consideration. I'm sorry, I'm taking a water break. I'm trying not to swallow directly into the mic. Um, so will you know kind of will we get to the nuclear options? Um, is there a way that we can kind of cut Russia off at the knees? I don't know. But anyway, um, next thing I want to talk about is the response from the American people. And let me tell you, it's inexplicable. So there's a far left kind of inexplicable support of Russia because they're a quote unquote communist country, which they're not. They're just an authoritarian country. It's not, there's not, whatever. Um, so that's upsetting and confusing. Um, and then two... There's the far-right inexplicable support of Russia, including one Donald J. Trump, who recently praised Putin at, an, uh, at a fundraiser event. People like Tucker Carlson, like all of these different kind of far-right um, figureheads talking about Putin and talking about Russia and like really praising their actions. Again, inexplicable as to why that's their position, um, but horseshoe theory. The far-left and the far-right are exactly the same. And that stresses me out. I don't know about you guys, but that stresses me out. Um, there's some, like, vague conspiracy theory, which maybe isn't as vague, um, but feels to me like it is, um, that there's some connections between this and January 6th. Um, again, it seems it seems like a big old conspiracy theory, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I'm sure there'll be more news that kind of comes out along this uh, along this line, and we'll talk about it in future episodes. Um, but there is, obviously, there is a kind of a general vibe that Putin loves Donald Trump and loves the far right. Um, and they, you know, and, and the far right loves Russia back, apparently. So it's, it's very interesting to see why that relationship exists um, and if there's going to be any kind of fallout from that relationship existing. Um, so I'm sure, you know, we'll get into that more in the future. Um, beyond that, beyond those kind of like two extreme weird reactions, there's the, I think the political left generally um, supports all of the economic sanctions that have happened. I think there's a pretty good big contingent of people who think that there should be some military intervention as well. I think those people are generally on the left. Um, and But I think across the political spectrum, I think people generally think that we should be involved, um, but are, as always, more concerned about the economic implications than about the implications on human life. 
which we understand. We, we know why that is the way it is, but it's still upsetting um, just because it's it's the because it's also it's also just because the American social, political, economic system makes it so hard for people to look outside of themselves. And that's not on the individual. That's on the system that made it so that we cannot experience compassion or empathy for other people around the world. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, so I think there's just a, there, I think there's a, there's also a pretty big contingency of people who are like, oh, the sanctions aren't enough. Um, but I think that the, the difficult thing here is that, um, the sanctions probably are enough, um, but they're all, you know, weird financial language and weird financial components that, um, we don't understand as lay people. And so we're seeing, oh, there's like some economic thing that they're doing. Well, that can't possibly be work against, can't possibly be working against an actor like Vladimir Putin. Um, although I think that it, it really genuinely is important. Biden in his address talked about the difference between the threat of sanctions and the actual impact of those sanctions. Um, and I think that that's a really important point because we don't know, like, these are the, like, the most aggressive, most sweeping sanctions the world has ever known. Um, and so we don't know what that actual impact is going to look like. We don't know what's going to happen down the line um, because of these sanctions because they've never been attempted before. Uh, so I do think that it's important that we give it a little bit of time. Um, and I just think people maybe don't understand that. They don't grasp that because even I don't really necessarily grasp that. I can't explain all of the sanctions that have been um, implemented. And so it's hard for a normal person who doesn't spend their entire life reading the news um, to really grasp, which I think is just an important thing. Um, so that's one of the debates kind of in the U.S. and on the world stage. Again, one of those other major debates is should we be involved militarily? I perceive that the left tends to think yes. Um, but of course, that major question that we've talked about when we're talking about Ukraine over the past couple of weeks is, are we just involving ourselves in, a, <clears throat> excuse me, in another Afghanistan situation? Are we just launching ourselves right back into um, kind of getting involved in a country for the next 20 years? In my opinion, it's very they're very different situations um because ukraine was already like a self-sustaining like functioning um economy there there wasn't you know that like terrorist threat um in ukraine and all those different things then again blah 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 we we, we can't get into all of those things we can't get into afghanistan again um but I, so i but if we do get involved, there is always the threat, because the United States can't leave well enough alone, that we will end up there for years and years and years um, militarily, not even with, with humanitarian aid or anything like that. So that, that is an important consideration of we just got out of this multi-year international conflict that we really had no role in. Do we need to involve ourselves in another one? Although, again, the other big difference there is that we do have a little bit more direct involvement in this because we have NATO and we have genuine concerns about Russian aggression, right? Because if you let Russia just continue to expand and expand and expand, that is going to threaten American interests. Um, maybe not physically, unless, you know, Americans abroad, whatever. Um, but it is, it is going to affect a lot of American political and economic interests. So that's not something that, like, obviously the, the American government takes lightly. So that's just interesting. Um, 
And again, as I just talked about, some people are just straight up more concerned with gas prices than about people in Ukraine. Um, and again, it's, it's, I think, thinking about those macro ideas and those like what if like trying to parse out what the end game is i think it's clear that there does need to be some some stronger u.s involvement i don't know if that means u.s specific military involvement just because i don't think that escalating this war anymore is a good thing because as we've seen over the past four days war is a very very bad thing um but i do think that they're 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 if these if these sanctions don't have the effect that they that they need to have in the next two days, right? There there needs to be more aggressive sanctions against Putin himself. There needs to be like a really kind of come to Jesus moment with NATO and with European allies around um, sticking together and staying strong uh, kind of against all this. Because as soon as as soon as one person crumbles, everything will crumble. And then that, that unified front, which I think is the only potential chance we have to actually push against Russia is just going to be gone. Um, so that's interesting. And then again, kind of tangential, but important to mention is that we need to be investing in renewable energy sources. We need that desperately. And of course, not really the time or place to be talking about this. It is a little, but it's not the main focus. But if, if everyone around the world was renewing was 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 investing in their own renewable energy sources if they were um you know spending more time thinking about those things and not thinking about where they were going to get their gas or oil or from russia we would not be in this kind of situation if every country kind of had their own ability to generate energy in a way that was sustainable um everybody has sun and everybody has wind and everybody you know whatever we need we, we do just need to transition into more nuclear power um, but that's, again, neither here nor there, really. Um, it's just kind of an important little sticking point there that future, all of our wars are going to be about oil. And that's it. And that's the same thing here. Um, and then another major question that a lot of people have been talking about is, are we going to accept Ukrainian refugees? Are we going to support Ukrainian refugees? Are we going to create pathways to citizenship for Ukrainian citizens. Um, and this is a major sticking point. You know, if the, if the European community isn't going to come together and support them, support the Ukrainians militarily, what are they and the U.S. going to do to support this massive new set of refugees and migrants that have been created because of this conflict? Um, and as we know, the global community, especially the EU, does not have a good track record on this topic as of late. And by as of late, I mean always. They've never had a good track record. Refugee rights around the world are so screwed up. Um, and again, as I think I mentioned, there's been a lot of comparisons recently to World War II. Um, another situation when the world community did not a lot to protect um, refugees and, and uh, people at risk. Um, and so it's just a, that it's kind of, it's kind of a macro kind of social question of how are we going to make sure that the infrastructure is in place to protect um, refugees? And how many refugees are we going to take in? And what is that going to look like? Because it's just going to be another situation of the U.S. and the world community refusing to support Ukraine militarily 
And then when all of those refugees are coming out of the country, there's going to be nowhere for them to go except for right back into a war zone. Um, and of course, this is a conversation like we could talk about refugee rights all day and all night. Um, but it is absolutely an important consideration to be thinking about. So that is part one. Very quickly, I want to talk about kind of other things that have been going on in the world. Um, very kind of interesting comparisons that have been happening of just like, there's a lot of airstrikes that are going on in the world. Um, Israel recently just committed some airstrikes against Syria. Saudi Arabia has been continuously airstriking Yemen. Hey, remember that. Um, there's been U.S. airstrikes against Somalia. Just there's, there's been other interesting questions about um, kind of remembering that there's a, a lot of conflicts going on in the world. And there's a lot of people who are not getting the same kind of media attention, especially in terms of those like refugee rights considerations. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people of color that are go about to become refugees um, because of all these airstrikes around the world. And like, what is the world community doing to protect them as well? You know, what? maybe we'll have a larger conversation about refugee rights in, in future weeks, um, just because it's a, kind of an important topic to me. Um, but it's just important to kind of remember the fact that there's so many bad things happening. So, I'm so sorry to say this, guys. I, that just came out of my mouth. And I couldn't believe it. There's a lot of bad things happening in the world. And there's a lot of people who are at risk and at need. And the world community, you know, needs to show up for all of those people. Um, there was more I wanted to talk about. But I'm rapidly running out of time. So I'm going to move on to my second story that I want to talk about, which is super fun and happy and is not going to make my hair fall out um just blatant legally institutionalized discrimination against lgbtq youth there was two major bills that have been talked about in the last week well kind of pieces of potential legislation changes in legislation um one is um texas transgender youth and then the other one is um florida lgbt kind of youth in general so the texas transgender youth legislation is basically the Attorney General Paxton redesignated what child abuse means um, and basically said that it characterized minors receiving gender affirming medical care as child abuse. And this was kind of like a kind of like an executive action from the Attorney General's office. So I'm going to repeat that. Basically, if you receive, if you as a parent help your child receive gender affirming surgery and you get reported you could be arrested for child abuse. I'm pausing for emphasis. Um, and it's ugh, ugh. like, I just can't even, I can't even articulate. Like when I was taking these notes, I like couldn't even articulate how truly angry I was. Um, it's unclear whether or not Paxton and Abbott can actually force the Department of Family and Protective Services and those other state agencies to investigate those claims um, without passing legislation. Again, this is another, I forget what the other piece of legislation was. We talked about it last semester. Another piece of Texas legislation, oh, it was the, the Texas abortion law, which required um, like individual, like it gave people a reward if they reported the fact that somebody had had an abortion, which like doesn't, First of all, it's it's sick and it's evil and it's twisted. And second of all, like, how does that even work? Very frustrating. So this is kind of a similar situation where if you know that uh, somebody somebody helped their child receive gender affirming surgery, you can report them and it's your job to report them. Um, and if they don't report those instances 
of, of minors receiving gender-affirming medical care, they could face criminal penalties. Um, and I literally don't know what to say other than shut up. Shut up! Um, there was all those hearings last year in Texas about this legislation, and all of these child psychologists and all of these medical professionals said it's not child abuse, and actually it's good for um, a child because, you know, you know the, the suicide rates among transgender youth are so high, and receiving gender-affirming medical care reduces those rates of suicide. Straight up. Like, that's just, that's just the, that's the beginning and that's the end of it. Um, and I understand wanting to make sure that somebody is sure before they have, like, a major surgery. But when somebody is sure, they're sure. And you have to kind of let them, let them exist in their own bodies, in the bodies that they want to live in. And it's nonsense. Um, it's, and it's all based on lies and misinformation um, and fear-mongering around young people, around transgender young people. And it's, it's just another piece of legislation that kind of is playing games with the lives and well-being of children. And for that, Mr. Abbott, mm, we are not friends. We are not friends. Um, and so there's, like so, much, there's so much I can say about this, but I did not manage my time well, so I don't have time to get into all the things I wanted to talk about. Um, but it's just, it's just the important consideration that this is going, like, this is a real piece of legislation that is going to affect real people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, mm, mm, it's, ugh. I'm sorry I'm inarticulate this morning, but I did just spend around 45 minutes talking about uh, a, a, a new war, and so my brain is a little bit fried. It's also only 8.45 in the morning. Um, but, it, it's, it's just like a, it's a, obviously all these things are going to get taken up in the courts. They're not going to be kind of just accepted lying down. Um, but I just really, it makes my heart hurt so much to think about young people who kind of are, are being told that they can't live the lives that they want to live, even if their parents are supportive of them, which makes me really upset. Um, but the next thing, the piece of legislation, it's been coined the don't say gay bill, which gives you like a very good, um, idea of where we're going right now. Um, so the Florida House just passed the bill, which, quote, aims to have schools teach gender and sexuality, gender and sexuality at an appropriate age and keep parents informed about what's happening in the classroom. So the, the, basically what that means, because obviously you're like, oh, well, that seems fine. Okay. Basically, it means no conversations about sexuality or gender between kindergarten and third grade. And then it basically... The implication of the legislation is that it would require schools to report to parents if, if kids come out, basically. Um, so if, if you go to your English teacher during lunch and you come out to them, they could turn around and they could tell your parents. Which is horrifying if, you know, you, that, that wasn't already clear. Um, so first of all, obviously, you know, no one's teaching about sex in third grade. You're not... You know, you're, you're not learning about sex in third grade. But hey, exposing children to the fact that there are different types of nuclear families and that gender isn't a binary isn't a bad thing. And it's a reaffirming thing. And it's the same, it's, you know, it's the same thing with, with the transgender youth bill. It's just when you, when you criminalize someone's identity, there's, there's going to be problems. You can't criminalize who people are and you can't tell them, especially young people, you can't tell them that they aren't allowed to live. 
Um, so obviously, it's you, you think about kids that n- might know that they're LGBT or beginning to discover it in at that young age. Um, but there's also kids who have LGBT parents who are going to feel so isolated and feel like they aren't allowed to talk about their own role because it's not that, that their identities and their parents' identities are seen as not not age appropriate, not school appropriate, which is nonsense. It's nonsense. You know how many age inappropriate straight people I've met? Like it's wild. It's truly wild. Um it's also a good thing to talk about gender. It's a good thing to talk about gender identity. You know, I feel like whatever thinking back to my K through 3 years, um you know, we didn't talk about we didn't talk about sex, but we did talk about gender roles and we talked about you know, that was like, you know, or those early introductions to feminism as a as a kid. So it's okay to talk about those things. And it's important to talk about those things actually because you expose people to the idea of gender and you expose people to the idea of sexuality and you let them know that there's the world is more diverse than what they might originally assume. And talking about diversity and exposing people to the fact that there are again multiple different types of nuclear families, that there isn't one single way that a family or a person can look is so important. And again, it, it's, it's learning about um, sexuality and gender and, and allowing yourself to be reaffirmed in that um, is, it's directly linked to lower suicide rates, you know, among LGBT youth, which is such an important thing. And again, it's the same conversation with the Texas bill of politicians directly playing political games with the lives and well-being of young people. And I cannot abide. Um, and then, of course, the idea that you can't feel safe telling a teacher um, that you like coming out to a teacher is horrifying. You know, there's so many people that I know and there's so many people around the world who have felt so much comfort um, from teachers and from schools and they found a safe space there because they um, were able to kind of be their fullest self. And now people are not going to be able to live their their, their truest selves at home or at school. And that's where people spend 80% of their lives um, as students. And that's just, that that's so important um, to to know that that. Florida Republicans are attempting to rip that safe space away from queer youth. And again, I cannot abide. Um, And this is going to affect real children. Children! Anyway. Okay. Alright. We are coming down to our final minutes here. And I want to leave you guys off with something positive before we go, hopefully. Um, But, a couple quick updates. One, um, SCOTUS nominee has been officially tapped uh, Katanji Brown Jackson is um, the new nominee to the United States Supreme Court. All of those confirmation hearings are going to start soon, so we'll absolutely be digging into that in future weeks. Very exciting. First black woman ever appointed to the court. Um, and should she make it, it'll be the first time that there's been four female Supreme Court justices at one time, which is pretty cool. I'm excited um, about uh, kind of watching that process unfold. Number two... State of the Union is on Tuesday. It's going to be an interesting one. Um, maybe I'll live tweet. Should I live tweet the State of the Union? I don't know. Follow, follow the show on Twitter, Sheep Thrills uh, GW. Um, I might live tweet the State of the Union. I think that would be fun. We'll do that. Um, number three, quick update. The CDC um, is about to roll back a lot of uh, masking guidelines and legislation. Not legislation. They are not a governing body. But anyway, so just important to note 
um, things with the CDC are about to kind of change a lot in terms of adjusting to our new normal, which I hate that term, as we know. Okay, those are my quick updates. And here's my last one little nice positive story to leave you guys off with today because the world is a bad place and um, I'm sad about it. Ready for this, guys? I literally had to dig for an hour last night to come up with a story. I asked my roommate, I was like, what is one good thing that happened that was that was good this week? And she was like, let me, let me come up with something for you. So shout out to my roommate for pulling the story for me. Humpback whales are no longer on the threatened species lifts, list after 60 years. So there was all of this like really aggressive whaling that was happening in kind of the, the places where humpback whales are in Australia. And they implemented all this anti-whaling legislation. And now the whale numbers are like skyrocketed. They went from like 1,000 to 40,000. So now they can take humpback whales off of the threatened species list. How great is that? Shout out to whales. Y'all are resilient. I'm proud of you. Um, so that's just a fun little thing. So of all the, all the bad things that are happening in the world, at least we know that for the time being, humpback whales are going to be okay. And I personally will be holding that directly in my heart um, for the rest of the week. But with all of that being said, I am just about out of time. Um, thank you guys for listening to my, my very depressing Saturday morning uh, radio show. Very glad to be here once again can follow me on Instagram at Cheap Thrills Radio and on Twitter at Cheap Thrills GW. Um, again, we'll be back next week with a full kind of dissection of the State of the Union. And of course, any large updates that happened around any of the stories that I talked about today. Obviously, things are continuing to change and develop all the time. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we, we never don't have anything to talk about on the show. That's what I'll say. Um, but with all that being said, have a lovely week. Enjoy the sunny weather, um, and I will talk to you later.